0: You're listening to an all-new episode of Self-Made Strategies. Visit selfmadestrategies.com for new episodes, information about our guests, and a whole lot more.
1: On this episode, we'll be speaking with the CEO and co-founder of Rush Order Tees, a leading multi-million dollar short order e-commerce custom apparel company. They were founded in 2002, when Michael was only 17 years old with his brother and sister. Rush Order Tees specializes in industry-leading turnaround times for everyone from teams to small businesses to Fortune 500 companies. Over the past 18 years, the company's focused on the customer experience by streamlining the entire process with its innovative design studio, incredible service, and the quickest deliveries in the industry. They help people express themselves, feel united, and connect more deeply to their communities and causes. Here, for your listening pleasure, are the self-made strategies of Michael Nemiroff. Hey, Mike, how's it going? Good, Tony. Really excited to get to know you, to hear more about how you founded Rush Order Tees, You're a Philly guy, by the way. You live in in Center City, Philadelphia. I won't give away the exact details of the location, but cool to connect with somebody um, remotely, of course, because of COVID-19, but nonetheless, awesome to connect with somebody from Philly and uh, a local tech entrepreneur. So pleasure to meet you. Thanks for coming on the show. So Mike, tell us a little bit about how you came up with the idea for and started Rush Order Tees.
0: Yeah, sure. So, uh, Rush Order Tees is um, a custom T-shirt business that focuses on rush rush orders, deliveries when you need it. And it really started, like you know, I can take you way back, but we're a business that started because we basically took orders that most other printing companies didn't want. So, most other printing companies want to print your order in two to three weeks. Whereas we'll print your order if you want it tomorrow, we'll absolutely have it to you tomorrow. Especially once we, since we're we're more internet driven than a local screen printing shop, um, the requests come in from all over the country for you know any any kind of deadline, which isn't normal of the local screen printing shop because local screen printing shops are usually like small businesses, teams, and they know where the shop is. They go visit and then you know they're fine with waiting in line. Okay, and the industry itself, at least my industry, was when we got into it in two thousand two, was very much like a back of the line business where you know people will try to do you a favor and get it to you faster, but since you really don't need it most of the times so and you're lo- you're like a local small business, um, they're, they'll do you a favor if they can, but otherwise you're going to get it in two to three weeks. So, but taking you back to how we even got into it, I was really just. Um, a computer nerd back in the late 90s. And I got my brother's homework to do because he didn't feel like doing it one day. And the homework was to make an HTML website. And I didn't know what I was doing. I was just fast at typing at the time. And my brother had me do it. I asked him what it was. And he said, Oh, you made a website, save it as .html and you'll see what you did. And once I launched that, that That was probably the thing that changed our lives. (laughs) Because once I learned that I could make something as a 13 year old kid, um, everything I did was a website from then on, whether it be my homework or school project or something for friends. So from there, being that I was on the internet, on the computer all the time, and making websites all the time, I started getting into affiliate marketing and I started trading traffic through ICQ with different webmasters, to the point that I would get enough traffic to certain sites. And I, I made conversion funnels to turn that into sales for different affiliate programs, whether it be web hosting or health pills or different fitness programs. And I became so efficient at it that I was able to start paying the, the mortgage for the family when I was around 14. And that was, that was a need that I didn't even speak about yet because my parents had been going bankrupt and their business had been losing money for a long time. So that's why I even got into make, learning how to making money for the family. So that's, that's where Rushard Ortiz started.
1: That's great. Great story. And so looking at your family's needs, they had their own business. They, they were designers. They had a, a fashion business of sorts that was pretty successful in the 90s. And then that led to the collapse of their business. They they were facing bankruptcy. They were looking at business foreclosure. They had a transparent conversation with you. Tell us about that story.
0: Yeah. So the their business was their, their business was design clothing and sell it to big retail outlets like Walmart, Kmart, JC Pennies. And they were really big in the, in the 90s, up until they bought out their business partner, uh, probably mid-90s. And then it started having issues from there because it wasn't as clearly delineated in terms of who, who was good at what role back then as it is now. So my dad was a really great clothing designer and salesperson. And my mom was really organized and really hardworking. But the guy that they bought out, Marty, was the business person. So when they bought out Marty, they didn't realize that you know they could have a whole host of business issues because they weren't actually focused on that the whole time they grew the business. Marty was. So once once that happened, they started getting into different business lines they shouldn't. They actually started making Westernware and they're not from Texas, you know, they know nothing about it. They just knew that somebody made money making Western wear. Like we're talking shirts with big American flags across the chest, which is great, but they just didn't know the market. And they just started doing the same kind of geometric designs they did on their old stuff onto this Western wear. So that's just an example of, um, the, some of the decisions that led to the eventual, you know, bankruptcy and closure, closure of their, you know, clothing design company.
1: Right. And as they were facing that, that's when they transparently told you that they needed roughly $5,000 a month to be able to stay where you were, to continue to support the household income. And you eventually got to that point with your affiliate marketing business and were able to hand your mom a $5,000 check. Tell us about that experience.
0: Yeah. So, so I was doing pretty well uh, doing affiliate marketing. To the point where I was actually, you know, my my parents were going through the foreclosure process and the bankruptcy process in their business. Right. And I was, I always remember that my mom said that we need to make about $5,000 a month to live here. So that was kind of my goal when I began affiliate marketing. And probably within the first year of doing it, I was able to hand my mom a check after a really good month for basically $5,000. So I made $5,000 that month. And I, I hand my mom the check. And she, it was it was a, a really pivotal moment for me because when I handed it to her, she started crying because she was like, Michael, this is unbelievable. And she almost didn't even want to take it. <laughs> but I gave it to her and I told her I can keep making this money. So... Um, from there, I learned more and more about affiliate marketing. And I met this guy from over, um, ICQ from, um, I guess the UK, and he made this software that, um, would actually hit up all the IP addresses on AOL. And I would basically be able to send messages through this thing called messenger service. And I was sending, um, I was, I was making a lot of money now through a new way of getting traffic. And then AOL put a patch out and the patch shut down messenger service because it was no longer a necessary tool. Um, It was basically a tool that network administrators would use to let everyone know like, Hey, we're going to shut down the, the, um, the network in five minutes, save your work. So, and I was a kid, I was like, "All right, this is great software. I, you know, I don't know exactly how it works, but all I know is AOL just shut it down. (laughs) So being that that dried up, I went, I, my, I, it was still like slightly usable, but my pit, my dad was basically done shutting the business down. The bankruptcy had basically finished, and the foreclosure was going through the process. and my dad was basically not really doing anything anymore. And my dad's friend Steve came in and said, after watching him just you know, kind of going through the motions, he said, Alan, I have this great business that I do right now. It makes it does four hundred thousand dollars a year in revenue, and you're you're a great salesman. I go door to door. I sell car washes, restaurants, and small businesses locally. Um, get in the car with me. I'll show you exactly how to do it. Where to buy the t-shirts? Where to get them printed? And you could be making money as soon as tomorrow. So, my dad initially didn't want to do it just because he wasn't in the mindset. And my brother said, "Dad, we're going on the road. We have to do this, and we're gonna we're gonna figure it out from there." So they got that started. And the first day they went out. It was it was pretty amazing because they came back with three sales. I think it was like two restaurants and a car wash, and they made about fifteen hundred dollars. And being that what I was doing was drying up, and they just started something new, um, it was it was pretty much a perfect time for for us to kind of start working together. And I said, Dad, you know what you're doing is great, and I think you know we can keep doing door to door, but I can take this online. Because I know exactly how to do it. I know where I'm going to market. And I'm, I think we can get started. We can do that as well. So that's how we got into that.
1: Looking at your building your affiliate business, you talked a little bit about funnels. Now, in the world we live in today with Russell Brunson and some other people talking about click funnels and that kind of thing, it's a little bit more recognizable term. But Tell us about what a funnel is from a sales perspective and how people can apply that to their own businesses.
0: So back then, it was trading traffic, more targeted traffic. Um, between. So there were webmasters who owned certain sites that had traffic. Um, so And you could almost align it to say, okay, if I get traffic from this site A and B... And I give them some traffic back with links back. Um, that's going to keep the relationship going. At least that's how it was done back then. And if I put an ad for this type of uh, company on the website, whether it be again, like let's say it was for web hosting services, which were big back then, um, if you know, if I get a hundred clicks, it's likely to convert at two percent conversion ratio. So that's how I did it back then. And then it got to the point where I met this guy from the UK through ICQ who was referred to me by one of the affiliate programs I worked for. And he was kind of like this wacky guy, he was a software developer. He made some software that hit up the IP addresses of internet service providers. He basically had them locked into this to the software. It was AOL and Comcast and Cox and Roadrunner and he you could send millions of messages a day. To what was called to these IP addresses, and through a service called Messenger Service, and Messenger Service was a networking tool used by network administrators to let the whole everyone in the company know, hey, this is going to be you know the network's going to be shut down in five minutes. Save your work, okay? So, and this was an old tool because these days we had email and we had you know instant messenger, so you didn't necessarily need that service anymore. But this this software would hit up these IPs, it would post a message, there were no links, and you could just click OK. And one of the messages I would write is, hey, need web, web hosting services, $25 a month. Here's the web address. And I, it, it's so long ago, I don't remember the web address that, that I use. But think about the, how targeted that traffic is. It's a message that you can't click on. And if you want to... If you want the service, you actually have to go on your web browser and type it in. Okay. So that would convert, obviously, very well. Up until the point that AOL put a patch update out that shut down messenger service, which was basically the bulk of the inter- people who accessed the Internet at the time was through AOL in the late '90s. And so that, that faded off <laughs> very quickly, because they shut down that service entirely. And then today, when you talk about conversion funnels, I mean, the, the focus of our business is really digital market. You know the way that we get our customers is through digital marketing. And we spend a lot of money on Google um, pay-per-click and also to make sure our organic rankings are, are, are uh, up there as well as shopping ads. So you have to cater the page exactly to what the expected, um, what the customer's intent is on the actual page that you're landing them on. So the ad has to closely align with what you think they're searching for. So if they're searching for custom t-shirts. You can't just write custom hoodies, right? Because that's not what they typed in. And you're, so your ad has to say custom t-shirts. There's, the page has to be all about custom t-shirts and how you make it easier for them to actually design and check out online. And you have to make sure that, you know, we know that a lot of our customers need it by a certain deadline. So you have to speak to timelines and whatever you think the customer may need who just searched that specific term to get to you. So you have to cater hundred percent as as closely as you can to what the customer needs.
1: And that's what you mean essentially by funnels, because each of them are coming in, as you said, from sort of a different area and maybe landing on a different page on your website. And then you need them to take some action to convert your sale at the end of the day.
0: Yes, yes, yes. You need to closely align it with the customer's intent all the way through to a purchase. Did
1: did your first customer, just out of curiosity, come from that door-to-door traffic transition? Or did your first customer come from an online source? Not literally the first customer, obviously. I I would imagine that's fairly hard to remember. But you know, more or less, did your first sort of chunk of sales start to really explode from online, or did you need to maintain the door-to-door side to to kind of you know bridge the gap until the online business took off?
0: Yeah. So we still maintain the door-to-door side because that was what my dad um, knew how to do, and he actually enjoyed it. He enjoyed. Uh, Meeting small business owners, talking to them, earning their business and trust. So we, but the, it was, it was a big difference um, going online because within the first week of going online and going on yellowpages.com and putting in ads nationwide for, oh, again, that was the other thing. With going online, it extended our reach from being so local, like hyper local, to only as far as we can drive to, Nationwide. So, by going on YellowPages.com, we were all over the country for three thousand dollars a month, and our first order was for twelve thousand dollars from some um, technology, some some local technology company.
1: Wow, that's incredible. Um, okay, so so that's how you you sort of bridged the gap and pivoted from a brick and mortar style pound the pavement air quotes business to a fully online. Uh, style business. How long did your parents and brother and sister stay in the business with you while it was growing?
0: So, so they, we, we worked together for probably the, from 2002 for the next 14 years together, my brother and sister and I, and my parents helped any way they could, whether it be, you know, driving the UPS last minute or picking up packages for, you know, blank product to bring them in so that we could produce them in the house. Or you know, any negotiating contracts with UPS, my dad would help us with, and my mom would help us on sales calls. But the the business was really built for yeah, thir- fourteen or so years by my brother, sister, and I together.
1: I think it's really amazing story. I think it's interesting that you uh, not again not only survived these periods of economic uncertainty in your own life, and then an- you know, nationally, but also these issues with software changes and SEO changes and constant sort of, you know, battles with algorithms online. Because affiliate marketing has evolved significantly from the 2002 to this point now, where it's a lot more difficult to target certain markets because you can't just keyword stuff and do sort of black hat kind of things, right? Right. So, how have you dealt with that uncertainty over time and kept your company pushing the envelope and growing during uncertain times?
0: So, when you're growing a business, it feels pretty uncertain a lot of the time. <laughs> so, I'm sure you can you know relate to that. So, um, especially early on. So, you know the the we we had to work really really hard for a really long time until the business wasn't us anymore because as you probably know, when you're starting a business, it really, the business is you. And the day you leave, if you leave too early, the business is pretty much dead. So we worked around the clock for um, 3 years just to pay the bills initially. And we didn't realize that we had a revenue issue to the point where every year, regardless of how hard we worked, regardless of how efficient we were, we were literally just making enough just to cover costs. So it got to the point where, um, you know, you have to you you know it's uncertain being in business. It's uncertain if you're going to make a profit, and then the risk you take, you have no certain outcome. So it got to the point where I brought in an accountant in year three. We weren't making any money once again, and he said, "You guys have to make. You guys have to bring in more revenue in order to make any money at all." So we took a ten thousand dollar risk in going into the next level of advertising. And we were doing about $30,000 a month at the time. And we spent $10,000, went to superpages.com because that was actually a bigger website than yellowpages.com was at the time. And I don't, I don't know how they compare these days. But it was almost like with overnight, we went from a $30,000 a month company to a $200,000 a month company. And that was really risky for us because that, was, that might've been three to four months worth of profit Going into this new advertising campaign. So, but but it ended up working out and it changed the business to the point where we could actually start hiring employees and getting into technology.
1: That's very interesting. And I, I was actually going to ask you about this because you mentioned sort of a break-even analysis of your own life earlier when you talked about how your parents had this discussion with you about how. They needed essentially five thousand dollars a month to break even in your own personal life. Forget about break even analysis with respect to the business and I thought that that was really interesting because that kind of helps you as an entrepreneur at least mentally take some control right Because being an entrepreneur to your point is just constant uh, risk aversion, how you deal with risk, how you deal with stress and anxiety. you know can you continue to push forward against sort of this uh Sometimes overwhelming wave of pushback, right, um, from different areas in your life. So, how did you consciously make that decision, and and how did you analyze that that decision itself to to spend ten thousand dollars more a month when you're essentially maybe breaking even or or even a little less than even in the business itself, and you have this accountant saying you need more revenue. So you decide, well, if we need more revenue, we need more customers. So naturally we need more advertising. You start to unpack that. How did that process go? And then how do you pull the trigger on that? What was your sort of decision matrix mentally to say, all right, we're going to spend $10,000 more a month. Yes, it's it's a massive risk, I think, for any organization, any entrepreneur. and But you say, we have to do this. And you push past that precipice. How does that happen in, in your own mind?
0: Yes. So I was, so it had been a a lot of hard work. We were, we were young, so we could put in the work at the time. I was probably 20 years old, three years in, my brother was 24. My sister was 19. Um, And it just got to the point where we were kind of like, screw it. It was like, it was, it's make or break time because we weren't going to keep doing the same thing working as hard as we did. And by the way, it is really hot in the screen printing business. <laughs> so you have dryers running at 300, 400 degrees, and you're not, you know, we didn't have the money to air condition the warehouse. So, and we were in a warehouse, and it's Philadelphia this summer. It's so it's it's just, you, we just got to the point where we were like, we can't do this anymore. So we said, what's the next thing we could do? We had, we had our eye on super pages. We just didn't think we could afford it, but we just said, screw it, we're going to try it. And from that point on, once we learned the, how much growth could come from one advertising source? Marketing then drove the business forward from then on, along with technology and sets, you know, set, set sales and getting good product out. But marketing was always the biggest growth factor to the business.
1: That's incredible. And, and so, to what degree did you balance sort of bootstrapping with outside um, financing sources to be able to make that that leap?
0: So we funded it you know, on our own funds. So from the money that I saved up through affiliate marketing, my brother was uh, making money on eBay at the time. And I guess my parents had like a little bit of savings, but we really never tapped into it. We just knew we had like a little bit of money. We, We always try to be net positive month to month. So we built the, we built the business without, we didn't really have the opportunity to go negative. So we always had to, we always kept profit in the forefront. But again, 3 years later like into it we didn't make any money. <laughs> so it was, it was really hard. So but we we did bootstrap it, we funded it and what you don't have enough money for you can make up with time. So, you know, if you don't have the money to build the best technology, well you can you can do a lot more manual work <laughs> and click more buttons and send more emails yourself. So, you know, we we put in a lot of sweat equity to make up for the lack of money and risk that we wanted to take at the time.
1: Interesting. Do you think that your parents' level of transparency with, by the way, hats off to them, they were that transparent with you so early on throughout your life and then in the business with you as well? It sounds like a lot of open communication, a lot of transparency is involved in your success. Do you think that that's a major part of it? Or what do you think, you know, what other soft elements, if you will, do you think contributed to the success of Rush Order teas?
0: Yeah. So just imagine that you're really young and you don't know anything except that you have friends around the corner and you go play during the day and then your parents drop a bomb on you saying, I don't know if you're ever going to see them again. <laughs> uh, you become very aware just in that moment. So yes, that definitely lent to our success because once we knew that it could all just go away, like the, lot, the life that we had, the house that we lived in, and that we would live in uncertainty, potentially uncertainty for the rest of our lives. Well, you know, it kind of motivates you to work really, really hard. Like, and it nothing mattered. like I, I would sacrifice, I, I, we sacrificed everything to get to where we are like friends, time, vacations. We, I mean, we were like, we saved every penny um, up until the point that we, we knew that we had a steady income.
1: That, that's It's an amazing story, honestly. I mean, I, I think just from the beginning, the grit and, and sort of determination of your parents, but also, again, their openness. I, I don't know when that developed and, and if that's always been your process at home and maybe that's part of it. But uh, I, I really think it's an incredible story how they just openly said to you, sat you down at that age and said, look, this is where we are. Cards on the table. You know, if we're going to be able to to succeed and move forward, this is what we need to do. And then to overcome that difficulty of dealing with you know bankruptcy and a foreclosure of the business, and then your dad to kind of grab himself up by his bootstraps and to go door to door and and start to to sell the t shirts and the screen printing, and then that evolves into into your business model. It's just an incredible story. Okay, so you talked a little bit about you know how you can when you don't have the resources how you can use time or air quotes, sweat equity or something else, you need to look around at what you do have to be able to push forward, right? And to stretch and bootstrap what you do have. So let's talk a little bit about that. What are your best practices on innovating and being resourceful?
0: So we've always done more with less in the business. The so I guess, what are my strategies for being resourceful and bootstrapping, so?
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah. So if we're talking about innovating a business that maybe is really, really tight in their margins, you know, doesn't have a lot of equity to be reinvesting in their marketing program, and to your point, that's really one of the core principles of any successful business, Right. It's how much are you putting into your marketing with whatever resources you have? If it's organic, you're spending your time and efforts to do so. If it's paid, then you're spending literal financial resources to do so, right? And that's, generally speaking, what correlates more or less to your sales figures, right, at the end of the day. They're not the same, of course. Marketing and sales are a little bit different, but they overlap in a Venn diagram style. So, you know, how do you innovate and... Become resourceful. Where should people start if let's say they're kind of plateauing, especially now with COVID-19, they're having to shift almost everything, right? If you weren't a remote forward and focused technology driven business before, you have no choice now if you want to survive, right? So where can they start to look and where should they start to innovate? What are your best practices?
0: Yeah. So every every single, every problem that we've had. Um, was different to the point of like we we never knew the outcome or the, the the way to solve the problem. All I know is that we were really frustrated at times. So w- like we hit a plateau three years no four years ago in marketing where we couldn't. I guess we we just didn't know how to grow top line sales for a few months. We were like we didn't know what to do, how to get additional traffic. So that honestly, Tony, the best way is. You're going to get frustrated to the point where you just start looking at it differently, and you start talking to different people, asking different questions, looking at new technology or or software, and maybe even the technology. Like sometimes we look at the technology that we already had, and it did it did exactly what we needed to to fix the issue. So it's 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 a. a There's just depending on what your you know the problem sure. is, I could answer more specifically, but. Yeah, it's just you just have to look at things a different way. Talk to new people.
1: Yeah, so okay, let's take an example live, if you don't mind. Um, let's say you have a business, whatever it is, service-oriented business, whether you're producing a product or or service. But we'll go with a service-oriented one because I think they're a little bit. There's more of a struggle for service providers to find tangential or innovative ways to do things. I think when you talk about individuals that are in service-oriented fields, they tend to sometimes get a little more complacent when things are good, and then get really crazy when things are bad, right? They go, you know, kind of, I I provide this great service, why is no one paying me for it? And then now with the shift into COVID-19, if you have a service-oriented business where the majority of your networking focus, for example, was your prospecting system, right? You're out there, you're networking with people, you're going to networking events, you're shaking hands, exchanging business cards, doing whatever you do, to get more prospects into your CRM so that you can then go and send them emails or contact them or whatever to try to sell them your service, right? So, you have this business shift, you've got a huge level of uncertainty, your clients are probably uncertain themselves on top of that. So, how do you what would your approach and process be to okay, we have no choice but to revamp our approach, our prospecting approach, right? We can't go to live networking events right now. So what would your approach be to innovating that and shifting your mindset?
0: Well, if you can't go to networking events, and again, I don't, this, this isn't my specific profession. Sure, I never, sure, sure. That's not something I've ever done, but I guess the way that I would solve that is probably the only way that I, I know how, which is Mo- digital marketing, email marketing. So Bines building building some about.
1: sort of resource out of your CRM, going back through those old business cards, let's say, re-putting, you know, inputting all of those into, literally physically, right? Inputting all of those emails into your email process, making email lists, and just start sending email communications. However, I think an important thing, and and get your input on this as well, you need to focus on adding value to that outside source, right? You need to it shouldn't be a communication, "Hey, I'm here. I sell accounting services. Please hire me if you need your tax returns done or your quarterlys done or whatever." It should be more so some form of informational resource or just a full-on transparent reach out, "Hey, I'm here if you need help. No pressure." You know, that kind of thing. Is that more or less what what you would do?
0: Yeah, maybe even survey them, say, you know, what can we do additionally? Um, what additional services can we offer you? What additional products are you looking for? Where you actually, you know, include them so that you can get the feedback that you need to maybe sell them additional services and products.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Okay, so let's look at your, your company, Rush Order Tees. And walk us through dealing with first of all the recession in the you know 2008 ish era, um, and then now with COVID 19, how are you dealing with the uncertainty and the changes affecting your business now?
0: Yeah, so the thing about our business and we're not recession proof and we're definitely not pandemic proof, but uh, you know in 2007 eight um, in the recession. Um, well, the thing about our business is people are always having events of some sort. So whether it's a good thing, you know, or it's, it's, um, supporting is supporting a different cause. It's happening all over the country in all different ways, regardless of the situation. So, you know, during the recession, we, we probably lost about 20%, um, year over year in revenue, but the election hit in 2008 and there were tons of shirts printed for the election in 2008. Right. So. That happened. And now with the pandemic, I mean, there's a lot of causes that people are printing shirts for and we're there to support that as well. So it's, again, we're not recession proof, but there's always causes that people want to promote regardless of the situation. So we're, we're just one of those in one of those lucky spaces where, you know, and we're online, so we're very easy to reach and it's really easy to design online with us. So it's, we're just in one of those lucky spaces where people always need something for what they're doing. Awesome.
1: Yeah. And so you talked about, though, the 20% dip year over year back during the recession. How did you deal with that yourself? So both from, let's say, a mental perspective, and then essentially from a pragmatic real-world perspective, what did you do?
0: We just worked harder. So we worked harder to figure out what to do. I ended up printing shirts on my own out there to save any costs that we could. Um and you just you just kind of like you just go into like safety mode to make sure that you're going to be in business beyond this. So you can't keep spending at the rate you're spending. Um like for example during the beginning of the pandemic, we had 300 people when right before the NBA shut down and then when the NBA shut down, you know, we 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 had to lay off 200 people and that was that we've never laid off Anybody, <laughs> so the, our whole career, we've laid off like five people in in eighteen years, and then all of a sudden the pandemic hits, and we had to lay off two hundred people. Otherwise, we wouldn't have survived because we would have burned millions of dollars uh, during those the five six months it took to get back up and running. So you just have to make sure that you're going to be able to survive it beyond it, rather than just being just keep things status quo. So you have to you have to modify your plan.
1: Great point. I love that. I love the, the approach that both you and maybe you learned this from your parents have taken to shifting and pivoting. When times get tough, roll up your sleeves, do what you got to do, cut down on costs, cut down on your overhead, focus on bootstrapping, focus on pushing the business forward, focus on doing something, anything, little wins, little, little successes, little victories that'll get you to that next plateau. And then that kind of reinvigorates you and pumps you up a little bit. And then you go for the next one again.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Awesome. Well, so Michael, Rushordertees.com is your website. That's where people can go if they want to order custom printed apparel for their business, correct?
0: Yeah. How else Rush. can
1: they reach out to you and where can they find you on social media?
0: So just on the Rush order Tease, uh website and Rushordertees handles on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Awesome.
1: Cool. Thanks a lot for your time, Michael. Really appreciate it. Awesome discussion. This was great.
0: Thanks, Tony. Appreciate it.